Welcome to another awesome message from Good News Company. We hope you enjoy it and that you are touched by the love of God. If you want more information, head to goodnewscompany.com. And uh, so we've asked Jeremy there about to leave in, uh, on a plane next week. and uh, he can, They can say more about that, but they're, they're about to depart for uh, several months to go to part B of something that is um, they have begun to do. And the thing I love about these guys, they're not, um, look, they're just doing it. They disappear and buy land in another country and start things that already, like have a thousand kids in, the, in, in their school all over the, up there in northern India. They're just kind of like, you wouldn't even think this about them, but there's things happening that are, that are absolutely life-changing. And so uh, they're going back to continue the next stage of what they've started. And so we, we were just, we asked Jeremy and Lionel to come and just talk to us, come and preach to us. He can do whatever he likes, but preach the word of the Lord to us. Uh, but why don't we stand up? Why don't we honor Jeremy and Alana and Jeremy as he comes to share the word of the Lord with us? Which would be right? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's an honor to be here. Um. I was saying to Ali just before, it is a little bit of a struggle like to repeatedly do the drive and we were trying to find something to compare it to. So everybody seen Monsters, Inc.? And you know there's that one monster, he just keeps losing the plot and his friend monster has to keep slapping him in the face and say, keep it together, man. It's kind of like what the drive is between here and Pottsville with our family. It's just like, keep it together, man. So, um, but we did arrive. All our children were still alive. That's good. Um, you do get like, we do get a little bit restless before we go overseas though, like for these long periods. And it's not really any one particular thing that like we're afraid of. It's more just the fact that we don't really feel like we know what we're doing. <laughs> Does anybody like do things and you don't actually really feel like you know what you're doing? It's kind of like you like you get up and like you say all these like awesome things. You have these great ideas, you know, and you like get people on board. And Josiah's just taking pictures to prove that at some point somebody did listen to me. So we just need to get proof of that fact. Um, you like go out and you like say all these big brave things. Then it actually comes to actually doing like that in the real world. And it's like. Oh my goodness, what have we done? <laughs> so so on um, on Thursday, we will be packing our Tamagoshis and our five pack of underwear and our gastro stop tablets <laughs> and our and um, all the it's funny, like when you pack, it's, it's not the things you think that you would take that you actually end up taking. But um, I'm sure it'll be fun. Um, but that will be good. Um, today, look, I just, um, I've actually been like really, really sick the last four days. Like you probably shouldn't use this microphone ever again. <clears throat> actually, I was really afraid that at some point while I was speaking today that I would 
cough up a life form that would crawl away or something. But um, I just like have been super, really, really sick. And so, you know, when you take cold and flu tablets and you have like about, there's about an hour while that cold and flu was taking effect where you actually are like, oh, I'm better, sweet. So most of what I'm going to say has been prepared in that short window of feeling okay. And I mean, when I prepared, I was like, God, I just, I just want to, you know, I was like giving my life to Jesus while I was preparing my own sermon. But we'll see whether it's that awesome when we actually speak about today. <laughs> I was saying to Kieran, sometimes you build a plane with no wings. You just have to find the cliff and push it off. Um, yeah, cool. Well... <clears throat> The title, If you, who here takes notes? Just everybody put your hands up. Awesome, cool. Um, this will be really good for taking notes because I have like three main points and about 27 sub points. So if it's really boring, writing will at least give you something to do while I talk. It's plenty of writing. Um, and if you're into titles, I've even got a good one for you. It even has a corresponding song, I think. Um, and it's called this, inspired by Abraham Lincoln. The world belongs to those that hustle. And before you get offended, don't you hate how pop culture wrecks words? I mean, like you have this perfectly good word, and then they just come along and put it in a song, and it changes the whole meaning of the world. Okay, now when I say hustle, I'm not talking about who's seen Zootopia. I'm like down with kids' movies, by the way. Zootopia, you know, where they record you saying how much tax you haven't paid and they're like, it's called a hustle, sweetheart. Boom. Not that type of hustle. Okay. Um, and not like the hustle where I trick you into buying my house for more than it's worth. Um, not that type of hustle. Today we're going to talk about hustle. It's actually a Dutch word. I like to just go back and, you know, if something's old, it seems more legitimate. So let's try and make it legitimate by quoting something old. It's a Dutch word from the 1800s. That means to shake. How good is that? It's like, um, so we're going to talk about the world belongs to those that hustle. Um, a more um, modern definition is to push roughly or force unceremoniously or a state of great activity. Okay, so we're going to talk about the world belongs to those that hustle. Um, is there anybody out there who listens to a song and your brain automatically, this is what I'm saying, it has a corresponding song, I think. Your brain actually, actually changes the lyrics to that song and you don't even know it. Okay, so in my head, there is a song. It's like an electro pop song. It's like, every day I'm hustling. But I think that maybe the words are actually every day I'm shuffling. Okay, well, today it's every day I'm hustling, okay? Or it could be every day I'm juggling. Boop, boop. Anyway. Look, I just want to put it into the picture of what I'm talking about when I talk about people who hustle. Um, there was this guy called Thomas Edison. don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's like an awesome example of somebody who just expected more out of life than the average person. For instance, even to date, Thomas Edison has more patents pending in the patent office than any other living person. 
Um, just to list a couple of his accomplishments, we're talking about he invented the phonograph, the first motion picture, uh, the magnetic iron ore separator, the carbon lamp, uh, the light bulb, the electrograph vote recorder, the first copy machine, the first electrical supply company. He was the man who turned electricity into a public service. He was also the man who installed electricity in the very first cities on the eastern seaboard of the United States. It's just one man, okay? He pretty much moved the whole world into a new season. Um, among his awards, it was like the Franklin Medal, the Legacy Honor Medal, the Congressional Gold Medal, the Rumford Prize, the Technical Grammy, the Distinguished Service Award, the Grammy's Trustee Award. I think he has like about, uh, there's like 37 different awards just for everything he accomplished in life. Um, he just was somebody who just were living on a different level of activity. He was on, if you were, if you like, he was a man who just was expecting more of it his life. Um, he's quoted as saying, I just found out what the world needed and I invented it. He makes it sound like so ridiculously simple as if like we could just put one and two together. Um, uh, but he was a little bit of a freak. Okay. Like we need to like, just, just like, so you don't feel too depressed about uh, your life. Let's just look at a, couple of quickly um by the age 10 vin he bart who was a little vietnamese boy at 10 years old was the youngest chess master in the world tantum o'neill by age 10 had won her first oscar um stevie wonder by age 10 had signed his first record deal with uh who was with um Motown, which he then, you know, made Motown one of the most successful record companies in the world. By age 20, Bill Gates had founded Microsoft. By age 20, Jane Austen had written Pride and Prejudice. By age 20, Joan of Arc had defeated the English and been burnt by the stake. Um, and just, I don't want it to seem like a young person's game, um, because look, there's all different types of expecting more out of life. Lord Renton who knows Lord Renton exactly? Lord Renton's claim to fame was that he is the oldest living person to receive their driving license. At four days after his 95th birthday, passed his driving test. And so, look, anybody who expects more out of their life and, and invests into their days to accomplish something more than what they're given I think is an inspiration. And so I just want to look at three different people who understood the hustle and what it meant to expect more out of your life in the Bible. Is that cool? We're going to do it. We're going to do it kind of quick. Um, Cause that is going to be good. So first off, we're going to turn to one of my favorite books of the Bible. If you can find it, is uh, the book of Nehemiah. So if you go there. How awesome is the book of Nehemiah? Anybody a fan? It's pretty awesome. Everybody there? It's really just a courtesy. 
really, I'm just trying to think of how to put this all together. And I pretend that I'm waiting for you. <clears throat> Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Now, if you look into cupbearers in the Old Testament, kind of like all the studies kind of really go on and on about what an honor it was to be a cupbearer and how kings trusted their cupbearers so much, which is all good. I'm not discounting that that's true, but at the end of the day, really cupbearers existed because they were meant to taste the wine before the king drank it in case it was poisonous. They would die instead of the king. So I mean, like, yeah, okay, that's an honorable position, but when it's not your king that you like being a cupbearer for, it's not that awesome. Okay, so Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxus, who was not his king. Um, the Israelites were in exile; they'd been conquered, they'd been dispersed through the kingdom. Some were in service, so Nehemiah was in the service of the king as the fall guy for the poisoned wine, basically. So he would uh, prepare the drinks, he would test the drinks. If he didn't die, he would serve the drinks. So that was pretty much how Nehemiah rolled. Now this <clears throat> crazy thing, it says, um, Nehemiah inquired of how the nation of Israel, he was in exile, so he was living away from home, and he inquired, you know, how is, uh, how's everything going back in Israel? And they said to him, um, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. Um, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. The first thing about the hustle that you need to understand, and I'm just going to keep referring to the hustle. I'm just going to let your mind not connect it to like, connect it to the right hustle. Everybody on the same page? I don't have to keep clarifying that. The first thing I want you to understand about the hustle is you need to be moved. Your heart needs to be moved. It's not good enough just to be busy. And you know what? God doesn't just expect you to be busy. But that there is something about the world that will move your heart. That God has fashioned you in a way that something about, some problem, something in the world will move your heart. And it, will actually, it won't actually be so much about you as much as it will be about the heart of God. You see, when you come to Jesus and when, when you lay your life at his feet and when God uh, gives you back your life and he fills you with the Holy Spirit, you carry the heart of God with you. And so the first thing you have to understand in order to hustle is that you have to be moved. You have to be moved in your heart. There's something about the world that will move you the way that Nehemiah was moved. Now, this, this movement was both physical and it was spiritual. I mean, like, I've watched movies and I've felt moved, but when the movie's over, I'm like, kind of feel a little bit ashamed that I thought that, that was kind of moving. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where um, I think, who was it? I think someone in our family cried when they watched The Lion King. 
okay. <laughs> Not pointing any fingers or anything, but uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it was sad that Mufasa died. It, it kind of except that Mufasa was just a cartoon lion. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, that's not the kind of movement. I'm talking about when God impresses something on your heart. Now, it had a profound effect on Nehemiah. It says that I sat down in, and wept. It says, in fact, I wept for days and days. And actually, out of this movement, um, God birthed a prayer, which is kind of cool, in that Nehemiah began to pray into this thing that moved him. Can I just say, whenever you feel God doing something, that is your cue to pray. That's your cue not to, don't just keep going on with your life. Stop. Just We used to do this thing. It was called the stop. It's where you just stop. Stop what you're doing and and connect with God. Um, and that's, so Nehemiah did that. It says that he prayed um, after his prayer. So the, the very last verse of chapter one says, in those days, I was the king's cup bearer. It says, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, which I have no idea what that is, during the 20th year of the king, blah, 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 I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. To, under, to, to, to really know the significance of this, you have to understand that if you went into the king's presence to serve him without a happy face on it, it's kind of like, like would cut your head off. So it was, it was a deliberate dissatisfaction with his life. Nehemiah was out to change things. He didn't just wake up the next morning and go to work, he went up the next morning, he went to work, and he's like, today something is going to change. You can tell you can tell this even by looking at his prayer. Um, what did he say? He said, "Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today." It wasn't like God just you know just uh, just make everything different over the next ten years. God, I pray that you gradually just you know um, clone me so that my clone will be free and then they can do something. You know, like he was like. I've been moved, I've prayed, okay, God, today something is going to change. And the fact that he went into the king's presence in mourning showed that he took this heart that God was cultivating him into his current situation with the prayer that today something is going to change, okay? So he was moved, he had a revelation, he prayed specifically, he got to the king, the king was like, what's up? Now, how many times... Have you, in your workplace or amongst your friends, have your friends gone, what's up with you? Have you ever had that? You're like, what's wrong with you? It's kind of awkward when you're like, oh, God's just doing a, a, a deep work in my heart and I believe he's going to release me to the nations. That's certainly not what I said. I was like, it was more like, uh, nothing, what's wrong with you? And you shake off like that what God's, you know, doing on your life and you just try to go back into normal. Um, those that hustle know how to carry um, what God's doing in their lives. Anyway, the king asked him, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah, Nehemiah said, then I was terrified. 
which is cool because it shows that he's pretty normal. Um, he said, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried uh, is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Pretty much by the kingdom that he's serving. Which, um, And then the king asked, well, how can I help you? It's awesome. And then he says, with a quick prayer to God, I replied. It's like, so Nehemiah is caught. He's not like pre-planned. He didn't have like some amazing strategy. He was moved. He prayed for a couple of days. He got up. He said, today something is going to change. He took that new heart into his workplace. They said, what's wrong? He's like, this is what's wrong. And he was just counting that God was going to be in that conversation. And then he was like, before he told them what was wrong, he's like, all right, God, here I go. I'm going over the edge with you right now. So you really have to be here with me. He throws it out there with the king. Well, king, my, my, my heart is saddened because of the disgrace that my people are in. The king says, what can I do to help? Um, and here's what's awesome. Here's the two things that Nehemiah did. He asked boldly and he acted swiftly. He said, King, he said, uh, if it pleases the king, um, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king asked, how long will you be gone? After I told him, the king agreed to my quest. Then I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, please let me have letters. And then he said, and if it pleases the king, please let me have supplies. And if it pleases the king, please let me have protection. And then he said, and if it pleases the king, uh, please uh, give me safe passage and letters of permission to rebuild because just in case they don't take me seriously there. You see, the people who hustle have to get over the awkwardness of expecting more out of your life. All our life, we're told to like, you know, just come on, be realistic. You know, like, don't be so full of yourself. You know, like, um, I'm sure that like Nehemiah, well, you can see the conflict in Nehemiah. He's like, oh, dear God, please help me. Well, long live the king. Uh, if it pleases the king, I'd like to have some letters. Oh, dear God, please help me. And if it pleases the king, I'd like to have some supplies. Oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> well, probably not that because he hadn't come yet. But you can see that Nehemiah, he was just making it up as he went. There was no, like, rehearsal for that script. He, uh, and, and, and then it says, three days later, Nehemiah reached Judah. Sometimes, like, we just take our jolly time. We think that, we think that, it's just, we have all the time in the world. It's like, we're just, uh, I was thinking maybe next year I might think about doing that thing. It's like, uh, I was thinking, oh, I'll probably be, next year I might just take a, maybe the year after. Maybe I'll just wait till I'm at an odd number. Or, you know, or, um, but what's awesome is that this story, from when he talked to the person to when his heart was moved to when he mourned for three days to when he asked the king for the letters, the supplies, the protection and the permission to when he arrived and inspected 
the walls in Judah wasn't really much more than a week. Um, and let's just remember, cupbearer to city builder. That's, that's what an awesome picture of the hustle. How God places a movement inside a person's heart. They bunker down and seek God about it. And then they roll with some crazy half plan of unthought out action. How good is that? God wants to give you a dream. God wants to put a dream in your heart that you can chase. Just like Nehemiah. How good is that? Cool. Turn to Esther. I'm going to try and go really fast now. You don't have to turn. Um, in Esther chapter 4, we see this situation. I like to think of Esther as the original awkward dinner presentation. Who's been to an awkward dinner presentation? Yeah. Esther is where that came from. So basically, like, there was this plan to, like, kill all the Jews. How bad did the Jews have it? But um, Esther came to learn of this plot and was told that you are the only person who can do something about this. And if you don't do something about this, we are all going to die. Signed, love, your uncle. <clears throat> um, so there's this awesome picture of how Esther's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray and fast for three days. And after three days, I'm going to put my nice clothes on. And I'm going to go into the king. When I go into the king, he might just chop my head off because that was the rules. I know what all the head chopping off was about back in those days. But that was the rules if you went in without an invitation. Off with your head. So um, they pray and they fast for three days. She goes into the king, risks her life to approach the king, gets to the king, and it's like, the king is like, ah, Esther, it's so good to see you. Ask me whatever you want up to half of the kingdom, and I'll give it to you. And Esther's like, I know, in her head she's thinking, I know that my whole family is about to be killed. In fact, my whole nation is about to be killed. But... King, would you like to come to a banquet that I have prepared? Actually, she was going in to ask for the for the Jews to be saved. So I don't even know if there was a banquet. Maybe she like walked out in front of the king. She's like, I don't know what it was like. But like, she goes in to ask to save the people, but ends up inviting the king to a banquet. And so then they come to the banquet, and they're like, "Oh, so we're at the banquet." And so what was it you wanted to say? She's like. Look, King, I just really want to invite you to another banquet. <laughs> and say, why don't you come to an even better banquet tomorrow night? And then she's like, before you go, I just want to show you a quick presentation. She didn't really say that. <laughs> she couldn't. <laughs> um, when we look at Esther, we can see that there is a price tag for us not doing what God puts on our heart. And it's a price tag that we don't always see, so we don't actually even really think about it. But so often we are worried about the price tag 
for doing what God has called us, we don't realize that there is a price tag for not doing what God has asked us to do. Mordecai said to Esther, if you do not speak up, God will replace you. But that doesn't mean that the Jews wouldn't have been wiped out at that time. It just means somebody else would have saved them at some point. There is, when we see the purposes of God and choose something else, we need to know that we will be replaced. God's plan is eternal and no person undoes what God has planned on the earth. But that doesn't mean that through our inactivity that there isn't collateral for the opportunities we don't pursue in the kingdom. There is... There is this... Look, I'm probably punching above my theological weight here. But God has no lack. If there's no lack in God, the source of lack is something else other than God. So when we encounter lack in our lives, when we encounter lack in ministry, when we encounter lack in the kingdom, it's not because of God. The lack comes from when we don't pursue the purpose of God. When our expectation is not the same as, as God's purpose, the distance between our expectation and God's fulfilled purpose is lack. Do you understand? And so when we don't rise up, when we don't hustle, it equals lack in the kingdom. It means that our churches are not full, our ministries are not funded, our communities are not communing because of lack, because we don't like the price tag of deploying the kingdom on earth. Esther could have gone like, I don't like the risk that I would have to take on to approach the king for those people. And so often following Jesus is about paying the price tag that he puts in front of us. I just want us even to, if you compare the price tags, the price of following Jesus is actually way less than running from him. Anyway, that's only really just a small sub-point there. Um, another thing we can look at, Esther prayed and fasted before she went on her dinner spree. Um, just a little bit of a... She also broke some laws and she was ready to die, which is kind of unceremonious. So following Jesus is just actually way more violent than it was led to appear when we did it in flannel graph in Sunday school. They should have had more flannel graphs without heads. It would have been more realistic. Um, look, the last one. Okay, so we're talking about people who hustle. Nehemiah 
hustled the dream that God put in his heart. Esther hustled the opportunity she was presented with. Jonathan hustled the challenge in front of him. If you turn to 1 Samuel 14, you don't have to. There's this awesome story, awesome story of um, Jonathan. It says, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go to where the Philistines can see us. Um, but Jonathan didn't tell his father where he was going. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped around the pomegranate tree. Ah, sounds nice. Um, among Saul's men was a priest wearing an ephod. Yeah. <laughs> That's important. Um, no one realized that Jonathan, Jonathan had even left the camp. Um, and Jonathan comes up with this awesome plan. I'm calling it Thale Army of Military Strategy. This is his plan. He says, let's go across to the military outpost where the Philistines can see us. Now, look, I haven't fought a lot of sword battles in my life, but I'm guessing that that's letting the enemy see you is, you know, not a great way to start a battle. Anyway, he says, let's, uh, we'll go and we'll make sure they can see us. Um, it happened to be that the terrain, they were way up the top and they were down the bottom. Um, Jonathan's great idea is he says, um, we'll cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, he said, then we'll just stay where we are. He says, but if they say, come up, then we'll climb up. Says So they went and did exactly that. The Philistines um, saw them. They said, come up here. We'll teach you a lesson. Jonathan said, come on, climb right behind me, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So he climbed up using both his hands and feet. So, I mean, he loses the element of surprise. He can't even, I mean, he has to use his hands and his feet to climb the mountain to reach the people who are trying to kill him. I'm also guessing that's not another awesome strategy for sword battles. Um says that uh, as he arrived, says that the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them. So I don't even know if that means that Jonathan even had his sword or whether he was just, you know how like they do like the Kung Fu Panda, like the pressure point, like Kung Fu, and the armor bearer was like head stomping them. I don't know what it was, but it certainly wasn't like, uh, it certainly wasn't like the, um, well thought out battle plan that had um, that you would think the king's son would come up with. Um, all this while, actually, Saul was camped out with his men. Now Saul was up there. Um, Saul was waiting. Saul was waiting for the prophet to arrive. They were going to sacrifice some stuff. They were going to get the priest that was there with the ephod. He was going to stand up and make some speeches. You know, all good stuff that had helped, like in the past. Um, meanwhile, there's Jonathan down in the valley showing himself to the enemy and climbing up the rock face without his weapons to um, teach those dirty Philistines a lesson. Um, those that hustle don't wait. Those that hustle don't wait. Can, 
so many of the mistakes in the Bible happen when people waited. You know, um, mis personal mistakes that people made happened when they didn't have their eyes on the prize, when they, when they didn't have a strong purpose, when their life wasn't being driven by what God, God had called them to do, but they were just waiting for something. Can I just say that some of the worst mistakes that you'll make will happen while you're waiting, so don't wait. Even a plan where you show yourself to the enemy with no weapons when they have the high ground is better than dancing around the pomegranate tree with the priest and his nice ephod, okay? Um, you see, Saul was trying, to work, was trying to replicate what had worked in the past. He was practicing religion. Jonathan was trusting what he knew about God. Um, Jonathan makes this awesome statement here. He says, let's go to the outpost of the pagans. He said, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. He knew something about God that possessed him to take action rather than wait. Because the odds don't matter to God. Um, sometimes in the hustle, you'll have to do things alone. I'm just trying to bring out some points out of this for you. You will have to do things alone. We love to act in groups. We love to, you know, have background music as we do things and have people cheering. But there will be times in your life when you need to do things alone. That people, your friends cannot fight those things for you. There are things that only you can do. And you need to be okay of reaching the bottom of the valley and being on your own. Being with an armor bearer who forgets your sword. He, there's three times in that, that um, scripture where Jonathan has to tell his armor bearer to stay with him. His armor bearer is like, I'm with you 100%. But then Jonathan has to keep saying, come on. And then that last time he's like, come on, stay close to me. Like Jonathan, he was on his own. He just had this one kid with him that was more scared to leave Jonathan than he was to stay with him. So you have to be okay to go it alone. Um, it's, um, we can't afford to be um, a collective brain. God is so diverse and God, God has positioned us for so many different things that we have to be okay when... The path splits and we chase what God has put on our heart, even if it means things peel off our life and we find ourselves alone. We have to be okay with that. Otherwise, we will just we will be the ones dancing around the pomegranate tree, waiting for the priest to give the ephod speech. Um, the other thing is that just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not right we've like built this like theology like well if god's in it it'll be super easy which isn't necessarily true like it it says that jonathan passed down between two sharp stones and he reached the bottom of the valley and then had to use both his hands and feet to reach the top of the next cliff where he would start to fight um i have like been around like some smallish mountains and I just get like totally freaked out by heights. Um, like, and 
we sometimes think that God, you would never ask me to do something that you know I am afraid of. It's like, God totally would. <laughs> he totally would. Like, in fact, there's more glory in you overcoming than there is in you succeeding that something wasn't an issue. Um, we need to not have that weak theology that says God has mowed me a, a straight path and removed all the obstacles. Now, look, there are promises that sound like this, but that's only so that we can look to that promise when there is no path and it's full of obstacles. Because it's like, God, I know that there's all these issues, but God, I also know that when I'm finished, I'm going to look back and there's going to be a straight path and no obstacles. Um, and lastly, there's this awesome, once again, um, as they want to go, blah, 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 blah. When, when, the, when Jonathan and the armor bearer, and I'll finish with this, when they get to the bottom of the valley, the armor bearer says, okay, I'm with you. And it says, Jonathan starts, okay, so I've told the story all out of whack, just so it would have been cooler if I had a statement. But he gets to the bottom of the valley, and the armor bearer says, okay, I'm with you. What do you want to do? And Jonathan says, all right then, which is awesome because it's like, if he had have had a plan, he would have said his plan. But he was like, the armor bearer's like, what are we going to do? And he's like, all right then. <laughs> it's kind of like, Give me a second. <laughs> it's like, I know I just brought you down here to the bottom of the valley, and I'm coming up with what we're going to do next. You're never going to have all the pieces of the puzzle. If you sit around and wait until you know how to do what you're trying to do, you'll never do it. Um, the reality is, is that God calls us to things that are bigger that we can't actually do without him. That means you can't do what God's called you to do. Whether that's a big thing or whether that's a little thing, whether that's for the rest of your life or whether it's the next conversation that you have, whether it's something to do with your family or something to do with the world. What we cannot formulate our Christian expression based of what we believe we can do or we can achieve. We have to expect more. Living, if we believe that this is true, if we believe that God is who he said he is, we have to expect more from our lives than what we can simply achieve on our own, which inevitably will move you into a realm where you don't know what you are doing. And, and that is actually the natural process of following Jesus, that he takes us where we can't touch, that he takes us where we can't reach. And he says, I am going to make you thrive here where it's so uncomfortable, where you're not quite sure what you're doing, where you don't know if you're going to make it. This is where I'm going to do something amazing. And story after story of people who put their lives up as collateral to see what God wanted to do on the planet become a reality. Like Nehemiah, who, who 
the cupbearer to city builder, or Esther, who um, broke the laws of the day um, at the risk of her own death um, to have a conversation, or like Jonathan, who rather than follow the strategy of the army, um, trusted in what he knew of God in the spirit of the moment. Um, there's just three three people that I, I really feel to pray for. People chasing an impossible dream. I just really feel like it's time to hustle. You've been sitting back and it's been stewing and, you know, some days you're motivated about it and other days you couldn't care less. But if you have a dream from God, I encourage you, it's time to hustle. Um, do you know that, like, God is wrapping this up? Do you know that, like, revival is, like, breaking out around the planet? Like, the whole thing in China hasn't ended. China is still, like, exploding with the gospel. Um, and, and we haven't even, like, seen what that means on an international scale. Like, like God is, like, moving around the world, like, in ways that we only really imagine. So if you have a dream from God, I encourage you, don't keep living day to day. It's time, if your heart has been moved, it's time for you to double down, seek God, let him change something in you. And then you need to wake up and pray that prayer. God, give me favor today. Let something about the dream that you have placed in my heart change today. That was the day he had that conversation with the king. So we're going to pray for them. People who are chasing an impossible dream. It's time to hustle. The next one is people who are facing difficult challenges or choices. Same as like Jonathan. He's like, I know I'm here with the army, but we've got a big problem. I want to do something about it, but I'm not quite sure. And he reaches that point where he's like, all right, then. <laughs> We're going to do something. I just don't know what it is. Um, people who are facing challenges, that decision, that conversation, whatever it is, there is a hustle strategy that God has for you that is miraculous. Like, like Jonathan, like it's, he was weaponless. He didn't have surprise. He didn't have the high ground, but out of that, God produced a victory. Um, so people who have an impossible dream, people who are facing difficult challenges or choices, and people who are fighting to survive. Esther, who the odds were totally stacked against her, who had just a couple of days before the whole nation was wiped out, and in a large last-ditch effort to the only person who could save the nation, fumbled her way in to be miraculously saved. And so they're the three things. So we're just going to really pray quickly. If you have, if you are chasing an impossible dream that God has placed in your heart, I want you to stand. We're going to pray for you. Cool. Church, why don't you stretch out your hands? If, you, if, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, just begin to pray. We're just going to pray that 